Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Constant Creator. I am your host, Eunice Mirnov, and I'm here with an amazing guest. She's been in so many incredible productions, one of which I got to see, which is Falsettos. She's also in Bright Star and Cinderella. Audrey Cardwell, I'm so happy that you're here with me today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. So how has everything been? Like, on a just full honesty, how has the last year been? What have you been up to? And just, like, what kind of ride has it been for you? you? Well, I think, like a lot of people, it's been a wild ride. And it's been, uh, there have been a ton of fluctuations. You know, there's good, really good days, really bad days. You know, it really just depends. Right. I think a lot of us are in the same boat. And it's just, we're taking it day by day. But I mean, overall, you know, I feel like I've started in the last six months, especially really settling into, you know, this, this life, this kind of new reality. But you know, I feel like I've finally found ways to kind of funnel my creativity. I'm starting to feel good, like making self tapes, which, you know, yeah. like when we're used to auditioning almost, you know, I, I mainly do theater, so I'm not auditioning frequently, you know, for television and film. I actually am doing that more now in quarantine than I ever was before. When you go from auditioning like in a room and then you have to do everything in front of a camera, it's very uncomfortable. It's a really difficult right. shift. It's something that, you know, I've talked to a lot of my friends about and I think a lot of people are struggling with, you know, it's like every time I have to make a tape, it becomes insufferable. I become miserable. <laughs> I hate everything I do. I'm untalented. You know, it just becomes a cycle of, right, of yeah. terror. Anyway, but I feel like I'm starting to kind of find my joy in all of this, in, in performing and, and in the artistic creation again even though I'm not, you know, in the room with anybody, which is the hardest part of all. But, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm pretty good. I have to say pretty good now. That's good. We're doing good now. The be, you know, the beginning was really tough. I went through a couple months where I was like, I'm no longer an actor. Yeah, I'm just not an actor anymore. I'm not mm. doing that. I'm, you know, I'm moving on to something that's stable. You know, it just kind of threw everything oh, wow. up into the air. And so I was like, I guess I'm just, I'm not an actor anymore. You know, it's like I was almost too hurt by everything you know mm. not not I, I was i was hurting by what had happened and yeah. or because of what had happened and so i was just kind of like pushing my artistic side and my creativity away and i was like mm. i don't do that anymore great i don't do that anymore really just because i was sad and didn't want to deal with being sad right um, yeah but we worked through that and of course i'm i'm still an actor. This, there's just no getting away from it. It just right. I'm a creative person and that's that is that is what it is. Is there sort of a difference when you're not like being able to funnel energy from any team that's there or is it like better because you're also not less you're less nervous or anything like that? There it's a huge difference. Yes, exactly what you said, the energy and just being in a room with people and kind of you know having that space getting to sing with a live piano you know i mean right that's right. been a long time since i've done that yeah a, a year about yeah and yeah just feeding off of the energy getting to play in the room getting to have a dialogue where you're not on a lag on zoom mm -hmm. you know it's just it's it's very very different and it's hard to uh, like what you said about you know maybe you're not as nervous when you make the self tapes that is an element of it but something else I find is that because there are no nerves, there's really not a ton of adrenaline. And so it's almost harder to kind of like goose yourself up for it. You know, like when you're going in 
or when I'm going into a room, you know, I'm sitting outside, I'm getting ready, I'm like getting focused and whatever, and my adrenaline starts to pump. And then I go in and I have all of that energy within me kind of like buzzing and amping everything up. And of course, sometimes, you know, it doesn't work to your advantage, but a lot of times it does. And there's not that like high energy vibe that happens when you're in, in the room. And I, I've also found that having unlimited time to do unlimited takes is actually <laughs> worse. Huge, yeah, it's just so much worse because I will sit there and do the same scene 18 times because, you know, I'm nitpicking and I'm like, well, you know, that little moment, I could tweak that moment. I can make that better. I can make that better. Whereas when you go in, you just do it and you bless and release and you walk out and that's it. So being, you know, I think a lot of artists struggle with perfectionism and mm -hmm. being a perfectionist is, is, a, is a little bit frustrating in these times because I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm, it has to be literally flawless. Whereas, you know, like I said, when you're in a room, you do it and it's done and you move on. So right. it's, it's definitely a very, it's a different experience, something really that's difficult to get used to, mm. but you know, we adjust, we grow, we figure out a way to persevere. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do now. And did you, when you mean that, like you didn't, you were thinking about completely cutting off being an actress, were you actually considering like going into other work? Did you have any particular like real opportunities or ideas that you ended up turning down? Well, not real opportunities, but I also, to be fair, never really sought sought it out. I did really think about going back to school. I started looking up, I started looking up grab programs that are completely unrelated to theater. And I have mm. my uh, BFA and my, and I got my undergrad in musical theater, which makes going to grad school, not impossible, but just there's an added challenge because there are a lot of prerequisites required for, you know, things that aren't acting, basically anything sure. that isn't acting. I was kind of just toying with and looking into other like career paths. You know, I was, if I want, if I was going to go back to school, I wanted to go back for mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. And I, that really is, well, one of two things that I feel like I, I could and would want to do. And the other one is a speech and language pathology, which I actually considered going to school for first go round, you know, when I was in high school, okay. I was like, if I don't do theater, I'll do speech and language pathology because I grew up with a lot of vocal problems. Mm. And so I'm, I feel, you know, I, my speech therapist as when I was in high school truly changed my life and gave me my career essentially because my wow. voice was totally, and this was just a speech therapist, you know, she wasn't my voice teacher or anything, but she changed my life and she left such an impact on me and I, you know, I know what it feels like to have to struggle to speak, you know, and of course, there are so many other issues that people deal with other than what I had, which was just nodules and polyps mm. galore. Wow. Anyway, so I, that's the only other thing that I feel connected to. And, you know, when kind of looking around, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do something else, it has to be something that I'm connected to. Because, right. you know, up until this point, I've only done the thing that I love more than anything in the world. So right. I at least need to find some other thing that I feel, you know, is kind of laced into my heart a little bit to some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that was it. Anyway, that was a very long tangent to say, I looked into all of those things <laughs> and was, you know, had all my like 
little schools and my like application pages that I didn't start by the way, but I had ready to start when Plans. I was wanted to, you know, like bookmarked on my computer and yeah. look at them every day and be like, okay, I need this. I need this. Anyway, none of that happened because I, I was awakened as it were back to reality, which is now I'm going to do what I've been doing and I'm going to keep doing it. This is all I want to do. All right. Did you have a moment yeah. that you like sat down or like, you know what? Not, not, no, I have to stick with what I, with what I love. There was a shift. Yes. I'm ashamed to say that I cannot remember what I was watching, but <laughs> I was watching a virtual concert. I think I had some friends in it. It's so funny to me that I, the moment overpowered what I was looking at. And so we'll just, we'll blame that for my inability <laughs> to recall what I was watching, yeah, but I was okay. watching something and it was a virtual concert and it was, I mean, I just remember it being very random and odd that that was the thing that triggered me. But anyway, so yes, I was watching this performance and I just, you know, felt the tears kind of streaming Mm. down my face and I was like I'm crying oh my god I'm feeling and it was literally like you know I was cracking open and being washed with all the sadness and feelings that I had really been avoiding right for months and it was just then a full breakdown of you know, weeping tears. And then it kind of turned into laughter because I was like, what was happening to me? I'm having feelings, <laughs> you know, do, do you, yeah. I don't know if you're a fan of Jim Carrey's The Grinch. It's one of my favorite movies, but when yes. he starts to cry and he's like, I'm leaking yeah. and I feel all fuzzy inside. That's how I was. Um, <laughs> and then I just sobbed and laughed and sobbed and laughed. And it was really, that was, a moment of awakening. And I did, I, I felt like all of a sudden I was standing in the sunlight and my body was like buzzing with energy and feelings again. And, you know, that's just grief. That's what, and, and that's what I came to realize is that I was just experiencing my own little personal bubble, artistic grief for, you know, all that we all lost, all that I lost, the things that I was going to do that I didn't get to do. And also the frustration of having to all of a sudden shift my whole life and figure out, you know, okay, what am I going to, what am I going to do? And how am I going to make money? And, right. you know, I was just frustrated and I was pissed. I was sad. I was all the things. And that virtual concert that I can't quite recall <laughs> gave me the gift of my feelings and my awareness again. And it was, it was a beautiful moment. Thank sure. you to whatever it was. Remember. I know. Yeah. Thank you to whatever it was. I'll remember someday. I need to go back into my calendar and look at, cause I kind of remember the, like the gist of when it was. So I'm sure I can find it somewhere. Yeah. Anyway. I mean that I actually, I saw the Jagged Little Pill virtual concert a couple, I think it was in December. Yeah. And that was like, I think I'd also been kind of hiding those feelings. And I was like, oh wow. Like I really, really miss getting to watch it and being a part yeah. of that experience Exactly. definitely like kind of woke something up in me again for sure yeah i mean it's so you know the experience of watching a show in a theater is so singular there's nothing else like it that's why you know the art form is enduring and ever-changing and always it's been present since its invention you know right and 
because of that, it's almost, you know, you can't, it's like riding a roller coaster. Like as it's happening, you're like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And then when it's done, you have this memory of, I mean, I don't know if, if you hate roller coasters. I'm so sorry for using this no, analogy. I love roller coasters. Okay, great. We were listening to a podcast about when Disneyland switched Tower of Terror to Guardians of the Galaxy. So I guess I'm just mm -hmm. in like ride mode. I love Disneyland. I loved, we, yeah. It's all a, the parks. It's a winter tradition. Disneyland is a winter, like Christmas tradition for us. Thank God. Yeah. That's oh, so good. So anyway, seeing a show is the same where when it's over, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, that, you have the memories of it. And you think, great, I can't wait until next time. But when you're in it, there's it's there's nothing else that's like it. You know, you can only have the experience when you're in it. And because of that, you know, I was able to really tap into like out of sight, out of mind. And so mm. I just put away, I wasn't even pining for it because I just put it all so far to the side. I was like, right. nope, I'm just not even remembering it. You know, I mean, there, there, like, there were seriously months there where I wouldn't even watch you know, videos of anything theater related. I wouldn't look at pictures. Like if I had memories from shows I'd done, I'd be like, anyway, that's a past life moving on. I, I mean, it's truly compartmentalizing to the extreme. And I think, you know, it's just coping, a coping mechanism and what a lot of us had to do. Right. Yeah. It's a lot. It's definitely tiring to kind of block that out. So For sure. I feel much better now that I've unleashed my feelings. You definitely. Know? Definitely. Yeah, it had to happen. Did you have like some little thing that you were particularly proud of? Just some little habit that you change or something that you got to do during this time that you're like, you know what? Mm -hmm. At least through this experience, I got to do this thing. I think there's actually, there's a few things, shockingly. The first is that I started building websites, very, like very low key, very amateur at the beginning of quarantine, just because mm -hmm. it was something that I liked to do. I like to fiddle with my own website. And so I put out like a little Instagram blast to my friends and I said, Hey, if anybody wants me to like, you know, update their website or if you want a website, I'll do it for super cheap as I'm still learning how to, how to navigate it mm -hmm. and do it for real. Let me know. And so then that's kind of just grown and developed. And I've really been working on projects consistently for a year actually in building websites. And it is really the only other creative endeavor that I've ever poured so much time and energy into other than theater. And, you know, it's like, theater adjacent things, mm -hmm. of course, but it feels good to learn a new skill. It feels good to cultivate my creativity in a different, in a very different way. My hand does hurt. I will say that like, it really <laughs> hurts my hands and carpal tunnel is setting in and it hurts my eyeballs, but you know, it's, a, it's just a totally different creative, like mind, which has been really fun to to get to know, you know, it's been fun to get to know that side of my creativity that I've just never taken the time or energy to do. And I've also picked up, I picked up more students, more private students. I do voice lessons and coachings. You know, I really, I do, I'll do like, you know, monologue coaching or scene coaching. And then I also do like vocal technique and vo voice lessons. And that's something I've just kind of done like sporadically through the years. Mainly I would just wait until somebody asked me if they want, it asked me if I taught and I'd be like, yeah, mm. I'll teach you. And, you know, now I'm kind of like reaching out and building my studio and that feels so good and satisfying, you know, because I get this connection and I get to work with somebody and facilitate them and their individuality and their growth. 
And I'm learning, of course, every time, you know, I have a lesson, there's so much that I learn and so many ways that I grow. And it's just really satisfying teaching. You know, I get, I get why teachers are like, it's the most satisfying job in the world because (laughs) you know, it, it really is. There's so much, there's so much, so many benefits to, to reap from that. So those are just two of the things. I also have two dogs who I'm obsessed with. And I, I, yeah. I, I don't I have see. anything I can say that I'm like, pr- I mean, I guess I'm just like proud of how awesome they are, but you know, they keep me busy and occupied and I'm thankful for them every day. <laughs> I love when you post your dogs on Instagram. I remember when you got your second dog and you were like so excited because when I saw Falsettos on tour and you were talking about Fifi and everything and, you know, she was like, the fact that you even got to bring her on tour is such a was such a cool thing for me because I'd oh, never yeah. heard of anybody else doing that before. I cannot be so, without that dog. She yeah. can't be without her. I can. I mean, I have a dog, so I understand. You that, get it. You get yeah, it. Getting to be home all the time, getting to do college from home, it's like, oh my god, I get to see her every single day. I know, and I'm I'm already getting nervous about the adjustment when we do go back out into the world for the dogs. I mean, she's going to be like, hello, I thought you lived at home. Why are you leaving? She'll probably love the space, actually. She's very independent. (laughs) She likes to run around. Yeah. She's like, get her out of here. And do you feel like overall, like your, your thoughts on being an artist and like as a performer have changed at all during this time? Yes, very much so. I don't think I realized how it is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, developed this strong separation of I'm not what I do mm-hmm. because I really do think that in, to withstand the difficulty of being an actor in New York, you really have to be so strong and resilient. And I found that the way that I was able to do that was by separating my worth and my value from my artistry and Mm -hmm. from what I do, you know, or at least from the validation of getting a job, you know? And so needing to have that separation was very important to me because, you know, I wanted to stay, I did not want my career and my auditions and my jobs or my lack of jobs to be like the defining thing in my life and to be the only thing that I deeply cared about and to be the thing that told me, are you allowed to be happy or sad today? Mm-hmm. You know, because, right. you know, it's, it's a struggle. It's a huge, huge struggle for a lot of actors to find that, to find that balance. And I've seen it firsthand in so many people that I love and it's, it's really, it's just, it's a hard business. You know, it's really just a hard business. And so I developed this ability to really separate myself from what I do. And because of that, I think I had kind of disconnected my creativity and my artistry from the fabric of who I am. Hmm. Not, you know, not intentionally. Well, intentionally in that, you know, I needed to be resilient and remain a happy person even when I wasn't getting jobs, you know, mm-hmm. and find worth even when I wasn't getting jobs. But, you know, I don't think I was like walking around saying like, I'm not an artist. I'm not an artist. It was like, no, I am an artist, but I am also more than that. Right. And this, you know, my like, I'll call it a sabbatical, my brief sabbatical from even pursuing or wanting internally to be an actor 
at the beginning of quarantine and then kind of having that shift was a huge change in how I view my artistry because I realized very quickly that it is who I am. It is how I communicate. It is how I express myself. It is how I work through all the shit in my life or in the world around me. It is how I learn how I communicate. You know, it's just how I do everything. And it is, it just is me. I am and it is. And I never really viewed it that way before. I really mm -hmm. did have like a, a separation. And since coming to this new realization of what my creativity means to me and what it means to my life has opened up my creativity to the rest of my life. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel like I used to just pour it into what I do, you know, my creative outlet as it were. Yeah. Now I feel like it's going everywhere. You know, I've had to get creative in how I'm going to make money. I've had to get creative in what am I going to do with my days? I've had to get creative with how am I going to entertain this dog today? What are we going to do <laughs> when it's, you know, raining outside and we have no right. room? How creativity just is flowing ev everywhere now within my life. And it took the, you know, it took life taking away my outlet for me to realize that I could put it anywhere and everywhere. My creativity, I mean. Right. So it, yeah, it's like, okay, you can't do the thing where you normally put your creativity. So now best of luck. And for a while, the creativity shut down entirely. And I was like, I'm not an artist. And then we powered it back up. And I was like, oh, work. Okay, great. Oh my God, I can be creative everywhere. And, you know, it's it's coming out into my my web design and my desire to learn and to be better in that creative endeavor. It's coming out in my teaching and me my desire to cultivate more creative teaching, you know, habits with my students. And it's coming out in us like painting and redoing this kitchen here, mm -hmm. you know, like that's a creative thing. It's different. It's a, right. a different kind that I'm not used to really doing, but you know, it's, it's all creative and it's all beautiful. Yeah. Shift. It makes, yeah, it makes great sense. I remember when you were doing falsettos that you had gotten to meet, you gotten to meet with James Apine and William Finn, if I'm not mistaken, was there any like piece of advice that sort of that they gave you while you were working with them that stuck with you while doing the show or even like up to today, particularly? Well, James was our director. And so he was present, you know, every day of rehearsal and right. all of tech. And then he came out a couple other times, you know, to just touch base and check in on the show. So I got to work with him a lot, which was, you know, I mean, really, I was just like, it's James Lapine. This is James Lapine. Oh my god, this is crazy! Right. And then William Finn, he kind of he just popped in like twice. To mm -hmm. he came into a rehearsal and then he came to our opening night party. And so I didn't really get a lot of like I I went you know I had a conversation with him, but I think the one conversation we had was pretty much all that interpersonal exchange exchanges that we shared. I do remember in rehearsal like he would come. And he would like lean over and, you know, do this to James and then James would say something. So that was right. really the way he communicated in rehearsal. He seems like he's very, you know, quiet to himself kind of a guy. And it's so fun to see in the flesh a person that you've 
idolized and loved for so many years. I mean, so much of William's work is like very important to me and to my, when I was growing up, I listened to all of his shows, you know, ad nauseum. And it's just so cool to be like, oh my God, you, you made that, you made that thing that I love so much that I've heard your name forever. And now you're standing here in front of me. This is just wild and amazing. Um, But let's see with, with James, you know, he's really, he's hilarious. When I auditioned for falsettos, I, he was running the audition, which is, I mean, I don't really know, but I feel like it's kind of an old school Broadway kind of a thing where Mm. normally these days casting, the casting director like comes out and like reads the list of people who were there and calls the name, grabs their headshot and resume, and then casting like, you know, takes the actor into the audition room. But with falsettos, James was doing that. So James Lapine was poking his his, uh, head out into the hallway of Pearl Studios and was like, okay, great. So Audrey, you know, and then taking your resume. And I was just so taken aback by that. I was like, okay, he's like running this audition. I love it. And then as soon as I walked into the room, he was just asking me questions. Like we weren't auditioning. He was like, great, Audrey, welcome. Where are you from? I was like, oh, okay, we're okay, we're chatting. And within a couple seconds, I realized, oh, this is on purpose. This is to, first of all, get me, you know, out of my own head. Cause so many of us go into like audition mode where we're like, I'm auditioning now and I have to remember my lyrics and I have to remember my words and blah, blah, blah. We go into like, you know, audition mode. Right. And he just wanted to shake that up and, you know, actually talk to the human being in front of him, which I, which I I loved, you know, that he did that. I was like, oh, this is a really brilliant way to get to know the person that's auditioning rather than just letting them stand there and sing in front of you. You know, this is Mm -hmm. like, because that matters so much in a rehearsal room is how you get along with the actors and the director and whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so I was very taken with that, that he did. But, you know, he just really instilled in me and reminded me the importance of simplicity Mm -hmm. and... You know, I I mean, I can't recall one exact thing that he said, but just over and over again, that would be, you know, kind of his guiding direction was just keep it simple, keep it authentic. Like probably the the smaller, the simpler, the better, which, you know, of course sounds pretty basic, but it can be really easy to forget. And it can be really easy, you know, as we're piling on characters and feelings and emotions and whatever, and, and we're doing falsettos, you know, it can Mm -hmm. really be easy to like sit into the melodrama or like really hammer that joke home or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just to be reminded that less is more, you know, and I hadn't done a show like falsettos in really ever, but you know, I've done a lot of like very stylized pieces, you know, I did guys and dolls, which is uh, you know, this golden age, very heightened stylized piece. I did Cinderella, which is Cinderella. I did Bright Star, which has like a bit of a natural kind of essence to it, but it's still very much in a period and very much in a, you know, you're in a, this thick accent. So it was just a really beautiful piece to explore in its simplicity and in its a kind of like contemporary like nuance, if that makes sense. I was actually going to ask about Cinderella and just sort of the fact that it's such a quintessential story. Mm-hmm. It's something that most of us grew up sort of dreaming about and knowing about and it has just this like very glittery 
sort of fairy tale energy to it Mm -hmm. and so to to know it so well and then to actually get to be a part of it did it feel different than other shows that you've been a part of it did in its magical kind of sparkly magic you know and i to being in a show that kids will come to and that you know, kids will bring, or parents will bring their kids too, is really special. And there's just something, yeah, in the energy of, you know, a Saturday matinee, when you can hear kids talking throughout the performance, you know, I think sometimes it's bothersome to people. I think it's so amazing. I'm like, Mm. this is some little four-year-old's first theatrical experience. Like, yes, she's talking and screaming, but she's also (laughs) here. So we love that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah, there was just such a magical, just glow around the show. And I loved Cinderella growing up. I loved the Brandy version was the first one I ever watched. I love that version. And going on Disney Plus was like a dream come true for me. Thank God. Maybe I'm going to go watch that when we hang up. It's so good. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yes. Thank you for the inspiration. And I'd seen, you know, the, the Julie Andrews version. And I'd seen the Broadway show a bunch too. Hmm. And so then when I was auditioning for it and I, I went in just, I went to a dance call and got a call back. And then, you know, the next day they were like, Hey, they want you to go in and read for Cinderella. I I truly thought it was a mistake. And I said, no, I think they meant Gabrielle. They must be mixing up Mm. the names, you know, Gabrielle and then Ella, (laughs) cause they call her Ella. I was like, I think this is a mistake. They must've meant Gabrielle. And they were like, no, they meant Cinderella. So go read for Cinderella. And I just was stunned because, you know, I'd never felt like I was a little princess. I was always really disheveled looking. My hair was like, my voice was basically this low, you know, ever since I started talking, I just never had like the squeaky clean, squeaky clean, like princess thing. I loved the movies, but I never like, I never thought, oh my God, like that's my role. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to play Cinderella someday or whatever. And so then getting to do it was just such a beautiful gift that I didn't even know I wanted. And of course, as soon as I was hired, I was like, this is the job. I will do the best job ever. You know, (laughs) and I was like off book within two days and just like could not study my script hard enough because Mm -hmm. I was so excited and so just uh, beside myself that I was getting to understudy and then I did eventually play the that role yeah yeah just to do something that's so iconic is it's just really fun and to do a show that you know people know is also really fun and the music is so magical I mean it was just it was a blast to say the least right and when you did actually go on a Cinderella and like go out in stage door where there are like tons of little kids like, oh my gosh, it's you. Yeah. Very like going to Disneyland and getting to meet the princesses kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It That's was so, so sweet. It was so sweet. And it was actually really fun because when I was in the ensemble, because I was originally in the ensemble, I understudied Cinderella and then I took over and played Cinderella for a couple months and then I went back into the ensemble Hmm. and my ensemble track is, I don't know if you're familiar with the costume design of the Broadway show, but I was in this periwinkle blue dress designed to mimic the cartoon Cinderella dress, the Disney cartoon. Hmm. Cause in the Disney cartoon, she's in like her little like blue thing. And then in the Broadway production, she was in a white 
dress for the right. but this was my dress was the nod to the Disney version. And so I had, I would go out and collect for Broadway cares and we would go out in costume and I had little girls coming up because that was like the costume that was sold in stores for Cinderella was the blue one. Mm. And I have so many pictures with little girls with them in their little blue Cinderella dresses matching mine that I was also wearing because they were like, you're Cinderella, you're Cinderella. And I was like, I wasn't tonight, but yes, I am from the cartoon. Like, look at my dress, you know? And so to match their little blue dresses, it was so sweet. And again, just to know that you were a part of a child's first theatrical experience. I mean, that's so special. There's just nothing, there's just nothing better. Absolutely. Did you have like a I mean, what was your first show? Like, what was, do you, do you remember like what your first experience was? Like as a kid? Yeah. Yes. It was Cats. Okay. Which I am obsessed with still to this day. It's incredible. It's the best show. Anybody can fight me. It's amazing. <laughs> I love Cats. I was five and it was, you know, I probably, I don't know, the fifth national tour of something that was through Birmingham. It was coming through Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm from. And my mom took me and my sister. And one of the cats came up to me in the overture when they run around with the glow eyes. Mm. I don't know if you remember this, if you've seen it in a theater. I've never seen it in a theater, but I think I remember hearing that. Okay. Yeah. So in the overture, they like take the house to black and cats run around with these glow eyes and they mm. like get in your face with your glow eyes and one of the cats came up to me with her glow eyes and was like you know doing being a cat and I was like I love this this is what <laughs> I want to do I'm going to be a cat <laughs> was that like was that your dream were you like I want to be in cats that's, oh that's for sure goal. for sure I did a production at like my hometown theater when I was 15 which was really fun but I you know I, I don't not that I don't count that, but it wasn't, you know, as an adult, I was still, I was so young. And then, yeah, I've been like pining to do it. I was actually, now that, you know, the world is in its current state and so many years have passed, I feel comfortable saying that I was cast for the tour. For mm, cats. Wow. And I then had to turn it down because I got falsettos. Oh, wow. And I was really devastated i i actually at the start my agents called because i got cats first and they knew they were like audrey why are you so you know they were they were really my agents are incredible and they were really like audrey we're shifting you know you're playing like leads we really are only trying to get you in for these like for bigger roles because i had just played alice in bright star mm -hmm. and i've i don't care i'm like whatever i want to work and also this is cats so i don't care if I'm, you know, an offstage swing, that would literally never happen. I would never <laughs> swing that show because I'm not that good at, oh my God, I couldn't, my brain, no. They were like, we just, you know, we're like really pushing you for, for roles and like just, we were kind of, you know, it, I was at a shifting point in my career and they were like, we don't want you to, we don't even want you to go. And I insisted, I was like, no, get me an appointment. I will go in. Let me go in for Gats. And then I did and, and I got it, which I was so happy and then i didn't get to do it and it's okay you know i just knowing knowing that I, I i got it knowing that i accomplished that chunk of the challenge right is satisfying enough like okay i was almost there and then obviously life in the universe had other plans because i needed falsettos for sure i mean that was like i mean 
Like, I mean, falsettos is so incredible. It's such a profound experience. I mean, even mm-hmm. getting to to watch it. I rethought about the show a lot during this time of just this is how easy it is to lose people in your life and have no control. Yeah. Just carry with us the fragility of life while also remaining open because it can be crippling like oh my god I can lose anybody at any moment you know or we can make that a powerful beautiful fuel to live truly each day absolutely we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow yeah and overall I mean you have a lot of different experiences doing different tours do you have any hopes for like if there's any changes that could be made to the process that when we come back you know, we've re-examined and re- re-look at things that you hope for for the future of like national tours and touring in general of what that process is like. Yeah, definitely more. I think, well, first and foremost, we have a lot of inequality and racism and also sexism running rampant in our industry as well as really the whole nation wide, but yes, there are a lot of, there's a lot to be done there in terms of equality, diversity, equity, and really figuring out how to redo the structure in our, in our industry. And I, you know, I can't say that I know or have an answer or even a good solution at this point, because it is such a, you know, it's such a daunting thing. And I also don't feel that I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. There's so much I don't know from my personal experience, you mm. know? And so I'm still learning and figuring out all that I've missed and, and all the ways that I could have and can be better in the future. But aside from that, which I think is the, you know, the most important, and this is kind of a, an, like an offshoot of that, just more advocating for the artist and mm-hmm. from the artist. You know, I know there's so many occasions where I've been present or something has happened, you know, to me personally that I just kind of like roll over and let it happen because we, you kind of have to, I should just be quiet and be grateful, be quiet and be grateful is like kind of what we're conditioned to think in this industry, you know, especially because you work so hard to get a job and so frequently you don't. And then when you do, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to make waves in the middle of my job that I'm so excited about, but I feel that there's a shift happening and starting to happen there as well, where we're really going to see a lot more stronger stance from artists. There's people who've been, you know, I'm not saying that it's that the way I've been doing it is the way other people have been doing it. No, there are people who've been fighting this fight for years and years and have dedicated their lives and their careers to it. I do feel like there needs to be, and I hope there can be a huge shift in respect for proper compensation for and just more advocating for the artists you know because we really are the bottom of the barrel artistically Mm. in in our hierarchy and in our system i'm i'm hoping there can be some shifts around that as well i've heard a lot of that sort of sentiment of don't bite the hand that feeds you i definitely do feel like i hear it in sort of entertainment and in creative jobs specifically because of the fact that if you have a regular nine to five job, you have that stability Mm -hmm. and often people feel like they can ask for more. 
Yeah. But when you, like you said, you don't get it as much and you don't get jobs as often. People are going to say like, why are you being ungrateful? And yeah. why, you know, you, you got it. Isn't this what you wanted? It's like, yeah, exactly. it's, it's what I wanted, but I, you know, still have to understand what I'm worth and understand, you know, what I deserve. Right. We are also in, you know, our entire industry is basically like one massive, except for like a few lucky times, gig economy, gig market. Like Mm -hmm. we go from contract to contract. Like, yes, sometimes we can sit in a show for two years or, you know, I mean, I do know people who've been in shows for like 10 years and that is of course the dream, but that requires the perfect combination of so many elements. And that is a very rare thing to get into a show that you can stay in for that Mm -hmm. long. So, you know, we're constantly seeking new employment. And because of that, if we're at a job and we're like, well, we had this issue and I want to be paid more, or I want to raise, or I want this. If you begin to cultivate a reputation of being difficult, that's going to spread of being difficult, which it isn't even being difficult. You know, that's going to, I think we all live in fear that that's going to like spread throughout the industry and then we'll never get hired again. And because we need to be hired a lot, you know, because again, we rarely get these long-term, like super long-term jobs. It's feels like everything's always, you know, uh, everything is a threat to the stability of your already very unstable, unstable mm-hmm. life. It's going to take, you know, a industry-wide shift in artists have to start asking, demanding what they deserve, right. you know? And like, there's, I feel like there's so many times where I, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to do this gig for, you know, $5 an hour but there is someone who will there's like that say that saying there's always someone who will take that job Mm -hmm. and what i think i really want is a shift across the industry where there isn't somebody who will take that job where all of us know that we're worth more than that so that is where the change can happen is when producers or directors or the people with money get just get no's from the actors. They're like, no, 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 no. These problems are perpetuated by the constant acceptance of the jobs from somebody or, you know, and I'm saying the job. And of course, I mean, any other kind of term or condition that comes with a contract, not Mm -hmm. necessarily just salary, but, you know, I really want to get to a place where no actors will take those, like those jobs that are insulting to our artistry, that are insulting to our, you know, the degrees that we have in this industry or the training that we have or the experience that we have. It's going to take a lot of people saying, no, we will not accept that. And I hope we can get to that place. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that directors and producers and people putting shows together can afford to pay more. So in the end, it's like, they can. Come on now. They can. <laughs> and they're just going to try not to, which I get it. I understand. I understand. But you know, it's, we can't just bend to it forever. I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to like this idea that somehow the reason that they're paying you little is somehow because they have to. It's like, no, because the whole point of the system that we're in is that you have to get paid less than the value that you're worth. Right. But it's because they're going to make a lot of money. It feels like a, like a sort of a veil is kind of put over that whole aspect of the industry oh for sure and I don't know how what experiences that you've had personally feeling I wish that I could kind of see through that a little bit more and feel like I have my hand in the pot oh uh, all the time 
because it does. It feels like this super secret world. And I'm like, well, wait, isn't that like the engine that drives this whole train that I'm on? Like, I would love to know what exactly is going on for sure. There's an amazing organization that Eden Espinoza actually founded with Karen Olivo. There mm. might have been another founder that I'm struggling to remember, but it's called Effect Change. And they on Instagram put up, like they're basically doing just that, like breaking down the wall that stands between us and all of that information and exposing it. And, you know, like talking about the in-depth finances of all of the theater companies and all of the producers and all the teams and stuff within the Broadway industry. And I highly recommend checking it out, anybody checking it out. It's really informative and really, really helpful. And that came out of, you know, this quarantine as well. So there's just good stuff happening. We're all feeling the, the change percolating, I think. Yeah, I definitely think that there are these amazing projects and, and movements that are in the works because this is what we have to pay our attention to now. Yeah. So I'm grateful right. for that, at least. Me too. Me too. Yeah. But thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. If there's anything that you want to wrap, I mean, any websites that people can look to that you did that maybe if they, if they enjoy them, they might want to, you know, check your services out or anything like that. I mean, that. I did my own and pretty soon I'm going to put up like a page that's dedicated solely to my websites and my building websites and what have you. So that will be up soon, but you can look at mine for the time being. <laughs> Great. Cardwell.com. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. I, you know, I love talking with you. I love talking with you too. Thank you. You always have the best, most thoughtful questions. I appreciate it. I think that the important thing that comes out of these episodes is just the idea that no matter where we are, we are all constantly creating. We all have our own forms of creativity that we can use in this time. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely. 